This morning we're going to continue and uh, actually conclude this series over the last days. It's been uh, a long road, a long journey we've been on, but it's been, I feel like it's been a good one. I've had a lot of positive feedback about it. Um, I am, however, ready to move on, but, but today we're going to cover three areas. Um, we're going to cover the millennial reign of Christ, and then we're going to cover the great white throne judgment, and last but not least, the new heavens and new earth. Uh, and, and again, I'll say this, if we were to cover them in depth, we would be going months and months and months on these things. There's no way we can do that. So we're just going to kind of do an overview, talk about some things, do a lot of reading, and, uh, and interject what we can that would make it positive and uplifting and encouraging and, and truthful for us to take away something good from this. Um, last week we concluded the Great Tribulation, which how many of you are glad that's over with, huh? Whew, talk about misery, seven years of it. I want to remind us, though, as we move into this, that it's a time where God intermingled His wrath and His mercy upon the wicked and rebellious world. And you say, Pastor, how was it that through the tribulation period you can see an intermingling of God's wrath and wickedness? How is that even possible? Well, I also saw in other places where after following great plagues and judgments, God would look in and and the Scripture would make clear they still would not repent of their wickedness. They still would not repent. And this tells me this much about God. That, that it's not just about death, destruction, and killing people. It was about God saying, look, I am God. Look, the time is short. Look, you need to make a decision. And when people refuse to repent in the midst of obviously God-centered plagues upon this world, it shows that they have refused His mercy to a point to where they almost cannot even be saved. But after discussing such things, I want to say this to What's my point? My point is this, that when you look through all of those judgments and things... The problem doesn't lie with God. It lies with man. Okay? God is consistently extending mercy, but mankind consistently rejected it and will reject it until that mercy is gone. But I can tell you this, that the psalmist says uh, that, that, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. It really does. Even throughout the most unbelievable acts of destruction upon this earth, God was still drawing man to himself as we read through that. So this morning we're going to continue to talk about some unbelievable things, but the nature of these things that we're going to be talking about are not horrific, they're glorious. Okay, The nature of these things we're going to be talking about are not destructive, but constructive. Not just convicting, but very encouraging. It's still going to want us to to cause us to want to live holy lives. And uh, so, So let's start out. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, again, going to do a lot of reading. You can follow along on the screen if you've got your Bible with you. It's probably a little easier. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6 says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding on his hand in his hand a great chain. We talked about this a little bit last week. This is immediately following the battle of Armageddon. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. 
Now, when the Bible talks about a thousand years there, it's talking about a literal thousand-year period. You say, I, I don't know about that. Well, there's a lot of different opinions about it. But do you remember when we talked about Daniel's prophecy about the 490 years and we talked about the 483 until Christ came and how that was dead on, spot on. That was a literal, literal 483 years. And then you have another seven years, which is a literal seven years, which is that tribulation period where God sets up that time clock that's an exact measure of time. It was, and now we have another exact measure of time, and that's a thousand years. Okay? There's a thousand years of Christ reigning on the earth. There's a thousand years of peace. And following that thousand years of peace, Satan is loosed for a short time to deceive the nations once again. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But this is not some kind of uh, idea of things. This is a literal 1,000 year period. This is the time where when Jesus comes back and he destroys the enemies of God, those that were gathered to destroy him, he wins that battle and he establishes himself as king of kings on this earth. He will establish himself a government that he is the Lord over. Now, I don't want to disappoint anybody because we live in the good old United States of America. The coming government is not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. That's hard for us to swallow, isn't it? But Pastor Bob, freedom, God established freedom. The United States, the example of freedom. Listen, Jesus Christ is not going to take polls about decisions he makes. Okay? He's not going to have to be elected. We do not have a say, and thank God for it. We messed it up the last time. Amen. And I'm not just talking about the most recent election. I'm just talking about all of it. Look around. Amen? Because of our opinions and attitudes and our input and our say, we jacked things up. Okay? Jesus said, I fixed it. I don't care what you think. He is a benevolent dictator. What is the difference? We hear the term dictator and everybody thinks of, of some harsh, cruel leader that, that, that oppresses his people. Jesus Christ is a benevolent, caring dictator. He leads so that we would be blessed. He makes the right decisions for us. He doesn't spoil us like a little kid. He will make the right decisions. He's a benevolent dictator. He does and makes decisions for the care of the people. It's not going to be, there's going to be no more campaigns. No more politicians. Now, my uncle John Layton was in the first service, and I told him he couldn't be there because there's no more politicians there in heaven. Uh, he's a retired politician now anyway, so it don't matter. But my point is this. There's not going to be any more politicians, no more fighting, no more bickering, no more lying, no more uh, voting and polls. It's just going to be Jesus, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He makes the de decisions. What He says goes, period. And everybody's going to be happy with it. Can you imagine that? Everybody's going to be satisfied with their government. For a thousand years. Even though... The Spirit of Christ is omnipresent. He will set rulers over different parts of the world. Verse 4, look back at it. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Given people authority to judge. There's going to be those that are given authority to judge. Now when we see that term judge, we think that they're just given the term uh, judge as in saying, I'm going to pass judgment upon you. Usually when a judge is there, they're going to say, uh, either you go to jail or you don't go to jail. You know what I mean? So when we see that, that's what we think. But the reality of it is, is when you read the book of Judges, what does a judge do? A judge is somebody that's not born of a noble birth, that is anointed by God, raised up, and put in leadership that would lead a nation. 
These judges are going to be made leaders. They're going to be made heads over things. Listen, the scripture talks about us being entrusted with little so that God can trust us with much. So we can be faithful in the little things so that he can trust us with the big things. Amen? There's a whole lot more going on in this life than what we just see. There's planning and preparation for the world to come. And on these thrones are going to be people that have shown themselves faithful, people that have have worked and probably suffered and even been killed for the gospel. You say, Pastor, I want to be a judge. Listen, if you're ambitious about it, you're probably not going to get that position. These people are going to be the most humble people. Servants. These people, it's going to be obvious, well, they deserve that spot. Some people say, well, it's going to be the apostles, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. I'm not going to argue who it's going to be. I do know this, that there's going to be divisions of leadership in the millennial reign of Christ that are necessary, and we'll talk about why here in just a few minutes. So who makes up the population, Pastor Bob, of the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus is going to come on this earth and set up his government over what? What population? Well, let's talk about that for just a minute. The first part of the population is going to be the saints of God. Now, who are the saints of God? The saints of God are going to be those that were everybody that ever died prior to the tribulation period and were resurrected at the rapture of the church. Their bodies were were glorified, brought to heaven, united with their spirit. Also, as Paul says, those who are alive and remain, those that were alive during the time of the rapture, those that are taken out of this earth, the faithful of God are taken and gathered up to be with him in the air. We've talked about that already. So those people are going to be coming back on white stallions. Remember that? We talked about that last week. You said, Pastor Bob, I don't know how to ride a horse. And I said, trust me, you figure it out, right? We're going to be following Christ back into that battle. And, and, and when he establishes himself, we're going to be here in glorified bodies. Bodies like his, bodies that don't get hungry, bodies that are not prone to sickness, bodies that are not prone to disease, bodies that uh, are not going to have to sleep. They can eat if they want to, according to like Jesus did when he, after he was resurrected. He ate, but not because he had to. Bless God. Amen? He can eat as a pleasurable thing or something as a fellowship thing. Uh, so, so when we look at these things, these people are going to be literally superhuman. They're not going to be prone to the natural things. The other individuals that are going to be here are those that uh, were martyred during the tribulation period and lost their lives during that period because they refused the mark of the beast, and they are raised to life. If you look at the other part of verse 4, it says, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." So these individuals that were martyred through the tribulation period, killed because of their faith, they were raised to life also. So this is what we have. People that pre, uh, were taken in the rapture in glorified bodies, people that were killed during the tribulation period in glorified bodies. These people don't have to sleep. They don't have to eat. They can if they want. They don't feel pain. They're not prone to sickness. They're not prone to disease. They're not prone to sin. Pretty cool population of people. Now, There's also going to be a part of the population that are going to be people that are in natural bodies. What? How is that possible? Well, when Jesus comes back and and, and he fights the enemies of God at the Battle of Armageddon, he destroys them by the word that comes out of his mouth. Everybody that has the mark of the beast, everybody that has rejected God worldwide instantly dies. And apparently it's, it's kind of a, a little miniature explosion or something because remember the blood flowed as high as the horse's bridle 180 miles. So that's kind of weird, gross, whatever, but it's going to happen, okay? 
So what happens is, is all this time there are going to be people, it's hard to believe that anybody can survive this, but there are going to be people scattered in little parts all over the world that have survived this tribulation period, that have refused the mark of the beast, whether uh, with full knowledge of God, whether or not, I don't know, but they're going to have living natural bodies like we have today. Bodies that have to eat. Bodies that have to have water. Bodies that have to have oxygen to breathe. Natural flesh bodies. Bodies that are even prone to death. But pastor, the millennial reign is heaven on earth. No, it is not. People will die and can die during the millennial reign of Christ. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So during this time on earth, the world will still be recognizable. You say, pastor, isn't this heaven on earth? No, it's not. You have to realize that this earth is still going to be destroyed from all the plagues, from, uh, you know, from, from the giant hundred pound uh, pieces of hail falling on the earth. When you start talking about earthquakes to where the mountains were laid low uh, and the islands disappeared. Remember all that stuff we talked about last week? It's still that planet. Things are going to be in disarray, okay? It's going to still be earth. It's going to look like earth. It's going to be a mess. Uh, but there's going to be a whole lot of work to be done. That's why there has to be judges. That's why there has to be leaders. That's why if there's going to, God is going to entrust into us through Jesus Christ's authority, give us the, the ability to have leadership over us that is just like Him. Leadership that is going to be benevolent, but is going to make decisions without questions. You ready to talk about it? Ezekiel chapter 39. We're going to talk about a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 39. Now, before I read this, I'm going to give myself a little disclaimer, okay? Is that okay? There are three different periods that people think Ezekiel chapter 39 is talking about. Some of them think that it's a battle that takes place prior to the rapture of the church or immediately after the rapture of the church where God immediately intervenes and does a supernatural work destroying the armies that, that come against them. Gog and Magog, Gog being Russia, nor, uh, Southeastern uh, Asia, uh, Asia, I mean Europe, and then Turkey and Iran, and then also Magog being like northern part of Africa, which would be Egypt, and they come against Israel and God destroys them. Listen, I, I'm not going to fight about this. There's, there's other people that believe it's that Gog and Magog, since it's mentioned in the end of, of, of the, the thousand-year period of Christ reign on this earth, that it's pointing toward that battle. Others think it's right after the uh, uh, Battle of Armageddon. I'm not going to tell you which it is, but just for the sake of drawing a picture for what things are going to be like following the Battle of Armageddon, I'm going to refer to it, okay? All right, just don't lynch me up. Nobody's going to lynch me up, are you? Don't, don't chase me down and tie me to a tree or anything like that. Okay, throw rocks at me. So the first thing that's going to have to happen and be taken care of is the, the, the mess from our war, this war that took place. Uh, they're going to have to clean up the trash. They're going to have to bury the dead. Ezekiel 39, verses 9 through 16, speaking of a war, a futuristic war, at what point, I don't know. I'm not going to fight about it. But verse, uh, beginning in verse 8, It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is the day I've spoken of. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up, the small and large shields, the bows and arrows, the war clubs and spears. For seven years they will use them for fuel. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it from the forest. 
because they will use the weapons for fuel, and they will plunder those who plundered themselves and loot uh, those who looted them, declares the Sovereign Lord. On that day I will give Gog a burial place in Israel in the valley of those who travel east towards the sea. It will block the way of the travelers because Gog and all his hordes will be buried there. So it will be called the Valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them in the day I am glorified will be a memorial day memorable memorable day memorable thank you honey I couldn't get it out that's why I love my wife that's why I married a teacher bless God what's the word memorable day I'm thinking of memorial day it's why I can't get it out declares the sovereign Lord and my wife. Men will be regularly employed to cleanse the land. Some will go throughout the land, and in addition to them, others will bury those that remain on the ground. At the end of the seven months, they will begin their search as they go through the land, and one of them sees a human bone. He will set up a marker beside it until the grave diggers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Also a town called Hamana will be there, and so they will cleanse the land. This, folks, is a, is a picture where Israel is having to clean up after a, God, a God-induced victory okay, over mankind. And they're having to burn wood for seven years out of the weapons. Now, some people say, well, there's, no, well, there's no wood in weapons. If this, pointed to, um, if this pointed to after the Battle of Armageddon, about most of the wood we would have in any of our weapons today in today's age and age, well, maybe, maybe a gun stock possibly, but most of it's metal in different forms and fashions. It does mention bows and arrows and clubs, which kind of alludes to a culture where there hasn't been weapons for a long time, a little bit more like the uh, end of the millennial reign of Christ, but that's just my opinion. However, stop and think with me for just a second about the mess. The bodies everywhere. Somebody Instantaneously, Jesus speaks the word and people die all over the world that have the mark of the beast and that have refused him. They're going to have to go around and there's going to be work that's going to have to happen during the millennial reign of Christ where people are going to have to find bodies, bury them, cleanse the land. It's very simple. So, Pastor, this doesn't sound like very much fun. We'll get into some fun stuff here in just a minute. But my point is this. It is not heaven on earth. It's Jesus Christ coming to earth to set up things back into the original order. And unfortunately, when things have to be put back in original order, we have to deal with the past first. And so it's going to be dealt with. According to this passage, it's going to take seven months to bury the dead in the battle they're talking about. But folks, we're talking about a valley that's full of blood, 180 miles long and as deep as the horse's bridle, according to Scripture. There's going to be a lot of death and and carnage that's going to be dealt with. Birds are going to come and eat the flesh. Scripture talks about that, making it very clear. But how many of us know there's always bones left over? It's all got to be dealt with. So what will happen to the war machines? Isaiah 2 verse 4 says this, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. What's basically going to happen when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingship upon this earth, what's going to happen is, is mankind is going to fall back into the original commandment that God gave them in the Garden of Eden. What is that? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
mankind suddenly stops with their prideful agenda. They're battling, they're fighting, their, their agenda to take over and to manage uh, the world in their sense of becoming their own dictatorship. And they fall back to the authority that God gave them to be, and that is to take care of the land, to farm it, to take care of it, pruning shares, to prune. Suddenly mankind is back to what they were originally told to do to begin with. God puts things in order. He says, we're done with the weapons of war. We're done with battles. We're done with you trying to advance your agenda. You are now going to do my agenda and mankind falls in line because it's those that are redeemed. It's those that are called of God and they will very joyfully do as he has commanded. And it proves that there's still work to be done. Industry will still be necessary as well as farming. Anytime you have industry, anytime you have work of that nature, you've got to have supervision, you've got to have structure, you've got to have order. Long gone are the days of competitive, hurry up, attitudes and agendas of man. And and now all we need to know is is run through Jesus Christ and and things are going to be run by godly men and, and women as God has established it. So the millennial reign of Christ is not about sitting around underneath a tree collecting everything you want from God. Remember what I said? Jesus is not, it's not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. He's a benevolent dictator doing what is right and good for man. You know what he said? You need to quit fighting and battling and you need to go make some plowshares and you need to get some pruning hooks and you need to go uh, provide food for yourselves. Long gone are the days of entitlement. I like that. Because you don't find entitlement in the Bible. Scripture says if a man won't work, he won't eat. Jesus said, hey, you need to quit fighting each other and make some plowshares. You're going to get hungry here in a couple days. (laughs) Do something. Go work. Provide for yourself. Yes, I've provided you with a body that's able. I've provided you with ground that will grow the food you need. And now you must go and you must work it. So life isn't going to just be lazy. Again, the landscape is different, the cataclysmic earthquakes and the mountains being different and so on and so forth. But there is going to be peace in the animal kingdom. Isaiah 11, 6 through 10. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who is Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Folks, this piece about the animal kingdom excites me. Why? Because I like animals. You say, Pastor, you just said it wrong. I don't care. I like saying animals because it's just way cooler. I want a pet bear and a pet lion and a pet anaconda. And they're, gonna, they're all going to hang out in my house and my kid is going to lead them around, according to Scripture. And I know you mamas are sitting there saying, I know that it says a kid can play near the hole of, of a cobra and reach in and not hurt him, but my kid still ain't going to test God like that. Listen, there's going to be peace in the animal kingdom. It's going, to be, it's going to be so peaceful that all these people you see on television rolling around with alligators and snakes and everybody's going, eh, they're going to be out of a job because it's not exciting anymore. I got six alligators. What's the problem? I pet them all the time every morning. I feed them grass. 
you know what, everything's going to go back to a kind of a herbivore mentality instead of carnivore mentality. And God is going to establish this on the earth. Here's the cool thing about this. Do you remember the first part of the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there was a release, the demons, the demonic oppression was going to allow even wild beasts to kill people. There's going to be an increase. They were under the influence of, of Satan himself and wild beasts were going to begin to kill people. Under Jesus Christ's rule, they love people. They eat grass. They're not going to bite anybody, even snakes. I know some of you saying it's impossible. There are not going to be snakes on the earth uh, because you know Jesus Christ is going to be reigning and ruling. There are not going to be snakes on the earth. And I would read Isaiah 65, 25 to you. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust uh, will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. They eat dirt. They're going to turn into big worms. Eat dirt. You don't have to be afraid of a snake during the millennial reign of Christ because Jesus said they're not going to hurt you. They're going to hurt you. Mankind is going to live in a, in a harmony with, with God's creation like uh, not seen since, since uh, the Garden of Eden. It's going to be pretty cool. Weather will not become severe. The issues we deal with on the earth now with earthquakes, possibilities of tidal waves and tornadoes and hurricanes and bad weather and so on and so forth, I believe it will probably rain on the earth because we're going to have crops and you need rain, Amen. But, but uh, I don't think we're going to have to worry about storms. You say, how can you prove that to me scripturally? I really can't. But I do know this, that we're going to have peace for a thousand year period. And I know that Jesus Christ, when he was on a boat, was able to calm the wind and waves with a word. I know that the, the earth did not have storms on it prior to Noah's flood. And Noah's flood was because of sin. God's going to put things back in order and place things in correct order again. There'll be rain on the earth, but it's not going to be storms. It's going to be blessing. Amen? You know, in the summertime when you need rain and it finally comes and you just stand out there and go, oh, this is awesome. That's the kind of weather we're going to have, okay? It's not going to be uh, dangerous. We're not going to have earthquakes and, and problems and trouble. It's going to be peace, all around peace for a thousand year period. Here's some cool stuff. During the millennial reign of Christ, the lifespan of those who are alive and those born during this time will be lengthened. Isaiah 65, 21. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and eat others, others eat. For as the days of a tree... So will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. During the millennial reign of Christ, man will still be able to die. However, God has extended our years to be that of trees. Have you ever had the unfortunate opportunity to have to count the rings in, a, in an old oak tree that somebody out of their ignorance chopped down for no good reason? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm just speaking from my own experience if a tree's got to come down, cut it down, right? I experienced an opportunity one time where an individual cut down a bunch of trees for no reason. No reason whatsoever. They just needed trimmed back. You know what I'm saying? They didn't need to be chopped down. These trees were solid. They were good oak trees. And I sit out in the yard. I just began to count rings. And I kept losing count. Folks, this, this situation of man having the years of, of, of a tree, you're starting to go back 
to early Genesis where you're starting to see people like Methuselah and you're starting to see others where their lives were extended and long because of the grace of God. Under Jesus Christ, Christ as His leadership, I don't know what that was, God. You're going to have to fix that in their minds. But Jesus' leadership, that's what's going to take place. But it does say people will die. Look at it. It says right here, Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. In other words, you know, today when somebody lives to be a hundred, we say they hit their second childhood. Today, but in then that time, if you hit a hundred, you're still in your first childhood. Right? And it says this, that he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. What does that tell me? It tells me that death is connected with sin. That those who disobey, those who somehow in some way refuse the lordship of Christ and are dying, it's, it's called because of their sin. You say, Pastor, how is that possible? Doesn't the scripture say that based upon our sin that we can lengthen or shorten our lives with our decisions? Give you an example. Honor your mother and father that it may go well with you and you have what? Long life on the earth. In other words, if you don't, your mom and dad's going to kill you. No, that's not what it says. That's my version. It means that your sinful behavior will shorten your lifespan. It's a common thing. I mean, we could go on and on about that. We're not going to. But in the kingdom of God, in this millennial reign of Christ, there's an opportunity to live long and truly to prosper. And, and when we do that, and we do it without sinning against God, we are going to have the lifespan of trees. But when a person does sin and they, and they reject, they're going to die at an early age, a premature death. And you say, Pastor Bob, where do they go if, if Jesus is here and they die? Well, I don't know. And the only answer I can give you is, is probably they're not going to be with Jesus. If a person dies and is considered a curse, it's not usually because they're in heaven. It's because of sin. And there's going to be people born during this thousand year period. Think about this. You have all those people that I said with glorified bodies. We're not going to be married or, or given in marriage or reproducing in any fashion. But those that have natural bodies will continue with their original commandment to go and replenish the earth to, to, uh, to have babies, right? That's what they do. In this earth for a thousand year period, you're going to have people living for, for hundreds of years, right? And then they're also going to have children for a long time and they're going to live and you're going to see generation after generation after generation of kids. This world is going to be full of people that are going to have to be made, given an opportunity to know who Jesus Christ is, to make Him the Lord, for them to be tested. And that's where we come to the end of the, the, end of the thousand years. Satan is loosed. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Jesus allows Satan to tempt the earth one more time. These individuals, you have to realize there are going to be many, many people who are born into a world where Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And they're going to have to make a decision whether or not He is their Messiah, if He really is their Lord, or if He's just their President. And Satan will deceive, and even in this atmosphere with Jesus Christ in front of them, a large number are going to be deceived and rally against Him again and be burned up with fire from God. But following this, He is bound and thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is next. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, and as record recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You want to know how powerful our God is? God exposes and reveals His face to a natural earth, and it flees away. And it has nowhere to go. Why? Because God is above and in all. It cannot escape Him. Remember where we read when we started this, Peter said that if the earth and all the elements are going to be burned up in this way, what holy lives ought you to be living? It just happened. We just read about it. And it only took a sentence. Earth and sky fled from His presence and there was no place for them. Do you realize how powerful that is? Nowhere for it to go. Gone. This court... It's only for those who have rejected Christ while on this earth. Every person that has dropped into Hades because of their sin against God have rejected Him or being held for this day. And just as man was, just as we Christians, believers, were resurrected and put in glorified bodies, these individuals will be as well. To stand before God with all of their senses, their, their brain actually functioning at 100% glorified. Their senses 100% seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, all of it, 100%. And there will be no debate, there will be no manipulation. It's finished. You say, how do, why do you say that? Because April and I were headed to Indianapolis this last week, and we were on 465 at rush hour, and we were in the fast lane. That's a nice concept, isn't it? Fast lane and during rush hour, 20 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. North side headed east. And I was in the far left lane, and there's the barricade right here. The other side of the road was moving just fine, except for the one lady in the Mustang that I was coming to that had a police officer behind her. Pulled over to the side as I'm approaching. This is what I saw. The police officer getting ready to get out of his car, and the woman in the front going... peering into the bright setting sun in the west, trying to muster up tears so she can cry when this guy comes up to her window. Funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I went past and it just clicked after I... I said, you see that woman? And April's like, what? Where? Huh? What? I said, she was, she was doing this. And she's like, what? I said, she's trying to get tears so the cop comes up. She'll be like, I'm so sorry. She wasn't sorry. It was the fakest tears I've ever seen. 
But you know what? She's going to try to manipulate the situation to get out of the punishment for him being just for pulling her over to begin with. It won't be that at the great white throne judgment. The mentality of our culture today is to go into a courtroom with all the sob stories we can get so we can avoid the punishment that we so much deserve. The sad thing is that God has extended His mercy to the point to where they had exhausted it and now there's nothing else that can be said or done. The very thought of this is is very humbling because people like to say, well, that's where... Uh, you're going to see Mussolini, you're going to see Gaddafi there, you know, you're going to see Hitler, you're going to see Osama bin Laden, you're going to see this, you're gonna, and we start naming off all these others. But the scripture said you're going to see both great and small. Who's great? Well, we think of the great ones, right? We think of these dictators. We think of these people that wreak so much havoc upon the earth. But what we forget about is the small. Who are the small? The small is our coworkers. The small is our neighbors. The small is our family members. People that we've tried to minister to that have rejected Jesus. The ones that maybe we should have spoken to and didn't. You see, this is where they're going to end up. And it's a very humbling thought. People say, Pastor, I don't want to see that for some reason. I just don't believe that we will. I think God's going to deal with that on His own. But following this time, death is dead. Death finally dies. It's over with. Sin is gone. It's gone at this point. And Scripture makes clear that we will remember nothing from the old earth. I'm not going to remember, not going to remember Michael Jackson. Beat it. Beat it. Nobody's going to remember that. Nobody's going to remember Elvis Presley. <laughs> A hunk of hunk of burning love. Not going to remember it. It's going to be gone. Somebody's going to test you and say, you remember Elvis? You're going to say no and say, all right, yes, you're in, good. I don't know. But it's going to be gone. All of that stuff is going to be, it's going to be forgotten. You say, Pastor, I can't live in eternity thinking about my loved ones that are being punished for. Listen, you're not going to know. It's going to be gone. Scripture says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. We're not going to have to worry about that stuff. From this point on, right now, nothing but good things. Ready? A new heaven, a new earth. Lastly, this morning, I'll try to get through this. I'm good on time, I think, I hope. Revelation 21, verses 1 through uh, chapter 22, verse 5. We're gonna, I'm going to do a lot of reading, and we'll stop and interject some things, but just kind of hang with me. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Can I get an amen? He who has seated on the throne, I am making everything new, he said. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and, I sh- and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It, sh- it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who had talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. Let's stop there for a second. John sees this vision, sees the new Jerusalem comes down and describes it. We're going to get a look inside of it here in just a minute. But he measures it in its 12,000 stadia. That measurement is 1,380 miles wide and high. It is a cube. It's just as wide as it is deep and just as high as it is wide. It's, a, it's, it's like I said, 1,300 miles in, in each direction. You say, Pastor, that's just a city. It, it doesn't seem that big when you consider all the people on the earth for all these years to fit into that city. Let me just think with you for just a minute. From here to Tampa, Florida, you're talking right around a thousand miles. That's one wall, and it's going to go beyond Tampa. Okay? That's one wall. That's, let's just call that the East Wall. All right? And then you take that and you go the other direction west. That's half of it. And then you complete it on it. Listen, that's a huge city. It's a city. One city. One. And it's a cube. And the walls are 144 cubits thick. And that measurement, in, in our measurement that we can understand today, is that it's 263 feet thick walls. 263 feet. You say, okay, let's talk about this for a second. It's just, the place is a cube. It's a big cube. You say, why? Who would, who would want to live a thousand and some miles up in the air? Well, you don't have to. This cube is a representation of the, um, the, 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 the Holy of Holies inside of the tabernacle. Okay? It was a cube. I guess the temple it was a cube. Where God rested, His presence was. This city is a giant cube. And you don't have to live in it. It's got 12 gates. You can come and go when you please. All right? It's just a city. And according to the scripture, we're going to read it in just a second, that we have uh, the walls are jasper. They're green, okay? They're, they're green uh, like glass looking through them. Verse 18, the wall was made of jasper and the city pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city, uh, city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third whatever that word is, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardinux the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. Now I realize that some of this he's describing something that's too glorious that he can compare with natural understanding. But when we start looking at a gate that's made out of a pearl, that's one bad pearl. That's one bad oyster to make the pearl. That's all I got to say about that. However, 
A really cool picture is, is that every time somebody walks through that gate, it's got the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's guarded by an angel that when they walk through, they're reminded that this pearl through Jesus Christ, through the promise of Abraham, that Jesus Christ came and sold all that he could purchase the pearl of great price. What is the pearl of great price, my friends? It's you and me. It's the people he loves. And every time we walk by the door, we see that this giant pearl that's massive enough to cut a gate out of is only a symbol of how valuable we are to Jesus Christ and can't even compare. That's powerful that he would love us that much. We walk through that gate, through that wall, into the city where God is, a city that is perfect, a city that is lit. Verse 22, I did not see a temple. In the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no church. People finally figure out that worshiping God is not about four walls. We worship Him face to face. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For, if the, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The light of God is a visible light and it's also a light of wisdom that we walk by. On verse 25, on, and on no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. Folks, there is no separation. God is eternal. There is no sleeping. There is no slumbering with Him. You need to approach the throne room of God. The gates are open. The lights are on. Come on in. It's like that now, but we forget at 3 o'clock in the morning as we lay on our bed. Amen? But when we walk that day, we'll walk straight into the presence of God. We'll approach the throne of grace with boldness and we'll look Him in the face and say, Father, I need some moment, some time with You. Just a moment. And He'll say, I'm so glad You came. Sit down. Let's have conversation together listen the gates are open the lights are on come inside that's that's our god his dwelling place is just simply in this city we go in and out and we're prospered by being in and out of there 26 and 27 the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it Nothing impure will ever enter, in, enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse, uh, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, and I'm done. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Folks, as Devin comes, I'm going to close this up, but those who will come in, the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations, the river of life, the tree of life, eternal life, folks, is established by God for us. Who doesn't want to be there? Who doesn't want to be there? It's not a boring place full of puffy clouds and little naked baby angels. I've told you that before. There are no little naked baby angels floating around in puffy clouds nowhere except on Charmin commercials, okay? Only Charmin doesn't understand the Bible. But I can tell you this of my God, the one that spoke it all into existence, is going to have a place for us and it's going to be perfect. Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for who? You? You. Very personal. Very personal. It's going to be perfect. There's not going to be 
concerns or fears or doubts with any of it. At this point, we're all going to be totally glorified bodies, completely uh, surrendered to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. His presence is not only going to be uh, tangible in our spirit, but tangible, we can touch Him. Sin is gone. There'll be, there'll be no more death, no more sadness, no more sickness. Will there be work? Yeah, there'll be some work to do. There'll be some things to do, but we'll, joy, we'll have joy in what we're doing for God. This is, this is what God has hoped for. This is what He's planned for us. Scripture says that He's predestined us to know Him. Folks, when He has predestined us or He has purposed us to know Him, that's what He's purposed us for. Why in the world would you want anything else? Jesus said, what profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Folks, if we gained everything in this world, how would it compare to what's to come? First of all, we already know that if we gain the whole world, which is impossible, it's going to pass away. Why would I forfeit my soul? You only got one soul. It's not going to wear out. It's not going to go away. You give that away, you've given away your eternity with Christ. So, Pastor, how do I keep from forfeiting my soul? You entrust it into the hands of a mighty God who loves you. And you say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I am a sinner. I have not lived for you. I have not made you the Lord of my life. But today I do. And you leave this place and you walk in obedience to that truth. These promises are yours. Period. Period. You say, why do you say that? Because if we live this life today... Whether we, all of us, die in this room, okay, and they stick me in the grave and throw dirt in my face, all right? Let's say that happens. It's sealed up. It's finished. I'm going to be there. I'm taken in the rapture. It's done. All I have to do is wait out the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, and we're going to be here. You want to know how quick it is that it's done? The instant that you're justified by Jesus Christ. don't even have to die yet. For me, it's done. It's as good as done right now. I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, all of these promises of God are yes and amen for me. My friend, I invite you to join me in that. Because I don't, I don't want to be there without these people. You say, Pastor, why are you, why are you saying this? Why are you talking about this? I'll tell you why I'm talking about it. A lot of pastors are afraid to talk about sin. They're afraid to talk about hell. They only want to talk about heaven. They only want to talk about blessing. Listen to me. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And the reason I talk about such things is because someday when I walk through the gates of that city, I would love to brush elbows with somebody that says, Pastor, I want to just say thank you for being honest and speaking the truth to me so that I can be in this place. And I hope and pray that everyone in this room rubs elbows with somebody that's in heaven because you talk to them on this earth or you ministered to them on this earth. That's the plan of God. Why did we study this? Why did we study end time stuff? One, so that first of all, that we, uh, those who believe, would be encouraged and have hope. The other reason, so that those who don't believe would see and repent and have hope. Period. Bow your heads with me.